one of the things that we've started to do as a business is we started to build our policies, our contracts around different payment terms. And so for certain business owners, we provide annual deals up front where they pay everything up front and they have the tool for the year. For other businesses, we give them a semi-annual option or quarterly or monthly. And so we try to give different options that make sense for the business owner and where they are in their own operational maturity so that they can react and respond based on the value that they're getting in real time. Welcome to Retention Talk. I'm Neil Desai, and we're talking to the best minds in the world of product and customer success to bring you actionable strategies on reducing churn and boosting retention. This week, we're talking to Danielle Rojas. Danielle is currently working on customer experience at LinkedIn, but at the time of the interview, she was Director of Customer Experience and Growth at GoSite. In the episode, we go over a number of tactics, including nailing the core principles of the voice of the customer program. Next, if you don't have a dedicated dunning strategy, get one. And last, pay close attention to the two kinds of customer loyalty you should focus on. Danielle, thank you so much for being here today. I am really excited to learn more about GoSide and some of the things your team, specifically in customer experience, is doing to, to boost retention. I'd love to just quickly learn a little bit more about how did you end up here, what's your role, and, and what are you working on th- these days at GoSide? Yeah, I'll try to give the the short bio. So my background is actually in research science, which is a little bit of an unconventional background for customer success. And when I made the switch into customer success, I was joining a company that served the life science industry. And I was so compelled and intrigued by the, the concept of software as a service, just putting customers in control and giving customers more authority and more of a voice when it came to the types of services and and products that they they were engaging with. And so I found that incredibly compelling. And then as I continued down that path of customer success and implementation services and really everything post-sale client-facing, I became more and more enthralled with customer experience as a practice because customer experience really appealed to the two sides of my my personality and and what I valued both from a research perspective it's really the intersection of where data and relationship building meet and so that always really enthralled and intrigued me and and as I continued through my career I I started leaning more towards customer experience and strategy and voice of the customer um, and that's what brought me to go site where we have a, a fairly unique opportunity to to serve in a B2B space where we're business to business, but we're serving small local service-based businesses. And so our our businesses that we serve operate in a, a little bit of a B2C capacity as well. So we're constantly tweaking the formula for customer success and trying to find the right balance for for our customers and and for our business. Cool. No, I I love it. And I think that distinction you made between customer success and experience is a big one, right? Because it's like, on one hand, you need to be really good at building relationships with customers to actually uncover those insights. But at the same time, to do it at scale, you need to be data-driven, right? So tell me more. I'd love to learn more about, you know, you mentioned at the onset, you guys are very intentional about the types of surveys you send. I'd love to unpack that a little bit more because something I've noticed when sort of thinking about retention holistically is there's sort of two buckets of, of sort of churn or, you know, retention issues. 
One is way more strategic, if that's what you want to call it. Either issues with the product or the persona or underlying issues with the product that I think doing research and surveys might actually help. So like, I'd love to, to learn more about what that what that actually looks like at GoSite. Yeah, absolutely. So with a voice of the customer program, one thing that I always like to encourage people, especially if they're starting out with a new program or re revamping an existing program is to first evaluate what it is that you intend to do with the insight right? It's it's not enough just to ask the questions. And so I go through a series of three questions that I ask myself or I, I have my team ask before we deploy any surveys, whether it's a one-off survey for specific research that we're doing or an ongoing recurring voice of the customer program. And the, the first question is, can we find this information on our own? I can't tell you how much it pains me as a consumer or as a VOC practitioner to see a survey where it says, tell us your name. If I'm your customer, you should know my name. You should know my business name. If I'm a business, you should know my name. You should know the basics. So the first question you should ask yourself is, can we find this answer on our own? And if you're in an enterprise space, then you should do some research, right? Can you can you research the company? Can you research the individual that you're reaching out to and, and find out some of that, those insights on your own through either data that's freely available or data that you're capturing as a business? The second question that I, I ask is, when we get the answer to this question, this specific question, can we take action off of it? The question is vague or if it's double barreled or if there's anything that might be a little bit ambiguous about it, we need to rework the question so that it's as actionable as possible for us, whether it's quantitative or qualitative. And so that really takes some time. A really well-designed survey should take you some time to, to design and to, to create before you send it out. And the third question I ask is, are we prepared to return to the customer, return to the person who's responding to the survey and give them our reasoning and rationale for a go, no-go decision? If we're asking people for their feedback, we need to be prepared to, in exchange for, for that information and for their most valuable resource, their time, we should be prepared to return back with insight and say, hey, thank you. We appreciate and we acknowledge the fact that you are investing in us and our development. And here's what we decided to, to move forward with. And yes, we're going to move forward with your, your suggestion or no, we're not. And doing that on a one-to-one -one basis while also aggregating the data at scale and evaluating how it fits in with your business strategy is really critical. And, you know, I always, I always tell my team that every single interaction that we have with our customer is either a value add or a value diminishing interaction. And VOC surveys can very easily be a value diminishing action because we're asking for a lot of information. We're asking for time. Uh, and unless we close the loop with the customer, it doesn't become a value add activity. And so it's really important that we think about that and we're, we're mindful of that. Um, whenever we're sending surveys out to to our clients, that makes a ton of sense, and I I love the bit on like don't ask customers things that you probably already know, right? I, especially or should like know. or should know, right? Like, and I do it. Like, I, I remember like I'll open up a survey on my mobile phone. I'm on the go. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna like try to do my part and help. And and it's 
the first 10 questions are things they should know. So that's frustrating. So I, I, got, I got to ask then. So like clearly a, a ton of thought put into and very intentional about how you ask these surveys or even if a, if a survey is appropriate to begin with. What's one of the biggest things maybe in the last six months you guys have learned from one of these that you have implemented, you know, and, and, and sort of seen the outcome of that um, one way or another? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So when I first joined GoSite, one of the first things that I did was evaluate the um, voice of the customer program that was existing. And I think this is a common mistake for a lot of companies where we we can launch a survey and let the data start to aggregate because we need we need a lot of data in order for it to be statistically significant. And so as that data is aggregating, we're not closing the loop with our customers. We're not following up with them and saying thank you or hey, we appreciate you taking this time. And so we're starting to build up this really great data resource and pool. But uh, if it's going into a black hole, so to speak, where nobody is monitoring and evaluating it and analyzing it, then it quickly loses its its value, especially with a SaaS company where we're moving really quickly, rolling out releases really quickly. The business we were six months ago is very different than the business we are today. And so just to, to circle back and answer your question, one of the things that we've done recently is we've looked at our entire voice the customer program holistically and we've overlaid that with our customer journey and we've evaluated it both from a CX perspective on on the post-sale side, as well as looking at every marketing outreach, every sales outreach. We're looking at every part of the customer journey and we're evaluating both life cycle stages that we want to have a, a pulse on from a, a voice of the customer perspective, as well as key moments of truth that our customers or, or milestones that they achieve by interacting with us or, or our tool. And so we're actually in the process of revamping our entire voice of the customer program with all of that in consideration and thinking through pre-sale all the way to you know a renewal date or a churn event. What should we be looking at? And at what points in the customer journey should we be asking these questions? And where else can we be pulling data so that we're getting insight without asking for it? So this is the other thing that I, I, I like to share is that voice of the customer, it doesn't always have to equal a survey program, right? There could be other things that you look at or evaluate to really understand the voice of your customers and whether it's a community forum, whether it's review sites, whatever it might be, there's lots of different input. And so we're looking at the entire ecosystem and trying to think about where can we get that insight and where where do we not have that insight? And that's where we're deploying surveys. Got it. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm sure like the level of insight you guys get is also probably so actionable because you're asking things that you guys are truly ready to like do things about, right? Exactly. I know. I love it. want to pivot a little bit and, and ask a little bit about some of the mechanical things that we see affect retention. And I think especially being in, in customer experience, I'm interested to hear your take on on the right way to, to handle some of these things. So the first up, like what's the cancellation process look like for ghost sites? Someone wants to cancel their account. What happens? Well, you know, it, this is an interesting question because it's actually evolved fairly recently. In the past, we had really sophisticated playbooks and we would try to work really hard with the customers to re reprove value and, and resell the tool and get them back in. 
What we're at as a company right now is that, and again, this goes back to the type of, of industry that we serve. We serve small service-based businesses. These are people who are on the go. They have limited time and we want to show that we value their time. And so we try to, just like any, any business, we try to mitigate the need for those requests as much as possible upfront. But once we do encounter them, uh, we try to make that, that experience as seamless as possible. And so we, of course, try try to, to deploy a play where we say, hey, can we get you on a call with, with a professional here and help you re-engage or re, re-implement certain elements of the tool? But if we can't, and if it's not the right fit for our customers, we always want to do what's right by them. And so we make it pretty easy for them to, to cancel out at that point. Although one of the things that we, we've started to do as a business is we started to build our our policies, our contracts around different payment terms. And so for certain business owners, we provide annual deals up front where they pay everything up front and they're just, they have the the tool for the year. For other businesses, we give them a semi-annual option or quarterly or monthly. And so we try to give different options that make sense for the business owner and where they are in their own operational maturity so that they can react and respond based on the value that they're getting um, in real time. Got it. No, I lo- I love like optimizing for term is one of those things that's so underrated. But but clearly, I'm sure like given that you guys have so many options, you guys are seeing it be a valuable offering, right? Because it benefits you guys getting that sort of cash up front, but also provides the customer with a way to sort of lock in a longer term rate. And 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 you know, there's it's a win win on both sides. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because if if they're ready to fully commit, we want to give them the the benefit of a discounted rate. And if they're still trying to figure it out and get their own feet off the ground with their business, we don't want to hold them to something that they're they're not confident or or secure in making that commitment. Cool. Somewhat related, what happens when a customer's payment fails? Because this is something that I've seen a lot of companies have like a horrific experience around. But given that you guys are also offering a payment solution, like curious to hear your take on this. Yeah, so we definitely have a quite a process with this. To be completely candid, this is outside of the realm of my scope of responsibility. So we have a dedicated team who manages that specific use case. So we, we of course, we do our best to try to contact customers and and give them opportunities to get a different payment. But you know, when decline cards happen and when that when that is an inevitable part of the business, we go through the the standard course of action of trying to reach out and follow up and and we take it from there. But it's not within my specific wheelhouse, so I can't give you a ton of insight into that one. No, no, it makes makes total sense. Really, just uh, it's, it sounds like it's somewhat of a manual process, but you guys are trying to do your part and and, and at least getting in front of the issue and, and bringing them back. Right, exactly. And then the, the the last like mechanical thing I'm curious about is when do you see your role as owning the user experience end? Is it once they're done being a customer? Are you doing things? after they churn to bring them back through, you know, win back campaigns or things like, you know, how do you see the scope of that, you know, in, in the context of your work? That's a great question. And it's a really interesting one because I think that for my team in particular, we're so laser focused right now. We're, we're really in a building stage within the CX and growth team. And so we haven't started to broaden the scope of our awareness beyond churn events just yet. Now, with that being said, there's of course things that we always want to be monitoring that, you know, review sites being one of those and brand reputation online and making sure that we're managing those those accounts and services. And so there there are certainly times when the team will jump in and 
work within a win back capacity, but really our customer success team, our support team, those folks who are on the front line facing the customers for those, those one-off interactions when needed, they're really the people who are at the, the spearheading those efforts. And right now we don't have massive win back strategy within the customer experience and growth team in particular, but I know that our sales team is obviously really focused on that and, and our customer success teams as well. Sure. That makes sense. One thing that I'm super curious about is like, how do you measure success with something like customer experience? What metrics do you look at on a, I don't know, week to week, month to month basis? Because I'm sure it's not as simple as just what is our monthly retention rate, right? It's, it's, it's more nuanced than that. So like, tell me more about how you think about measuring success. Yes. I love this question. So when I think about success for a customer experience team and for, for the teams that, that I'm managing in particular, we think about it through two lenses, right? So everything that we're trying to do is driving loyalty and loyalty in, in our terms is revenue retention, retention in general. And so logo retention as well. And so there's two main types of, of loyalty. There's behavioral loyalty and then there's attitudinal loyalty. And behavioral loyalty is driven by price and convenience. And that's where if you're a commodity, if you're in this commodity space, it's really easy for competitors to outbid you, to be more convenient, to whatever, whatever they can do to make it easy for your customers to switch and move away, they're doing. And so that behavioral loyalty, when you see, when you see customers who are renewing month over month or year over year, depending on your payment terms, that's really interesting. But if you don't understand why they're renewing, if you don't understand if it's just because you happen to have the least expensive solution or the switching costs are too high, if somebody else comes ar around with a, a less expensive option or a really easy way to switch over, that revenue is gone. And so the other type of loyalty, attitudinal loyalty, and this is where we start to look at the measuring what matters to, to my team is driven, you know, the behaviors that we see as an output of attitudinal loyalty are willingness to trust the business, willingness to forgive a bad experience, renewals themselves, right? Retention and renewals, that's a sign of attitudinal loyalty. And then the, the willingness to refer a friend. And so measuring those four distinct loyalty behaviors is a really critical part of our team and what we focus on. And so we're, we're, always looking at different ways and different perspectives for us to evaluate that in particular. So we've broken this down by both activity level metrics that our team is focused on, things that we do to manage our own productivity and our own engagement with, within our internal teams, moving up to engagement level metrics where we're evaluating how are our customers engaging with the content that we're creating, the services that we offer, the tool that we have, and then um, beyond those engagement metrics, then we're looking for those behavior and success criteria as well. And, and that's when we tie it back to net revenue retention. So to, to make that a little bit more materialized, if we were to take a VOC program again and, and look at NPS, for example, we would segment our customers by promoter, passive, detractor, and we would evaluate certain data about what tools they're using. And then we would also evaluate that against our net revenue retention and net logo retention as well and see where we have the biggest discrepancies and, and start to close the, the gap 
Got it. No, that's that's great. I mean, even just for us, like I feel like NPS becomes such a hot take. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but in the industry, right? On on is it meaningful? Is it not? But but I think to your point, like it's look, it's one of of four or five things we look at and 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 hopefully track over time. Like tactically, are you guys just asking customers this once a quarter or something like that? Like what does this actually look like for for actually getting this data? Historically, we had it at a once a quarter cadence, but we're likely going to peel that back a little bit and move more towards like a biannual cadence. I like to play with it a little bit. Obviously, you don't want to don't want to change the, the playbook too often because you want to have that historical benchmark data that you can you can compare to. But my take on it is to ask as infrequently as you possibly can while still getting the most rich data that you need. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Just to just to round us out here, Danielle, I know we're coming up on time. Like, what are you most proud of looking back at the VOC program you've implemented here? But just in general, all the customer stories I'm sure you've heard, like, what are you really proud of having built and learned, you know, in the context of our conversation today? Yeah, I think for me, what I am most proud of throughout my career is anytime that I can, you know, it's it's that multiplier effect, right? So I got into this space and into this industry because I have a lot of empathy and compassion for our customers. I love the fact that we serve small business owners. I come from a family of small business owners, so it's it's close to my heart. And, and the work that we do is obviously really connected to um, who I am as a, as a person. But what really excites me and energizes me and makes me incredibly proud is as I, you know, evangelize voice of customer and customer experience across the team, seeing other teams, other individuals really step up and start to take that practice and bring it to the either the frontline engagement that they have with the customers or bring it to other businesses that they work with and help empower them. That to me is is really where I feel most proud. Awesome. Well, that's great to see that more teams are sort of like, you know, rallying behind the cause. And and I'm sure that's really been rewarding for you to see that theme be picked up across organizations. So this was, this was great, Daniel. I had, I had a ton of fun learning more about, you know, what you guys are up to at GoSide. And I really, really appreciate the time for you sharing, sharing some wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me, Neil. Yeah, absolutely. A massive thank you for Danielle for talking to us this week. Her customer experience expertise has been immensely valuable. To recap, we talked about nailing the core principles of the voice of the customer program. Every single interaction with your customer is either a value add or a value diminishing interaction. A VOC survey can easily be a value diminishing action, but it doesn't have to be a lengthy survey. Get creative, look to community forums, review sites, and more. Next, if you don't have a dedicated dunning strategy, get one. Having a sole individual responsible for reaching out to customers about failed payments is better than nothing. However, adding some sophistication to the process isn't as difficult as you might think. If you want to learn more, check out Profitable's ebook that's all about churn, and I'll link it in the show notes below. And last, make sure you focus on the two kinds of customer loyalty, behavioral and attitudinal. Behavioral loyalty involves customers who are renewing month over month or year over year, right, depending on their payment term. Attitudinal loyalty is about willingness to trust a business, willingness to forgive a bad experience, or even referring a friend. Understand both and you'll boost customer loyalty significantly. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Retention Talk. Don't forget to subscribe at retentiontalk.com. And if you want to help spread the word, tag me on Twitter at neildecide 23 And let's dish on today's episode. Please give us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice and let your friends know as well. If you know a great guest, hit me up at neil at profitwell.com. This has been a Profitwell Recur production, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.